Well, we are, we're in our final week here, really, of our Advent series, The Heart of Christ, we're in week four. And as we've just continued to do that, we've continued to look into the heart of Jesus, which behind me, of course, you can see that's been the name of the series. Um, we've seen a few things about Jesus. We've just touched really on, on four things. Uh, the first one was that he is gentle and lowly. And by that, we mean that Jesus is humble. He's meek. He's accessible to us. That's what it means when Jesus described himself as gentle and lowly. We also know that he's uh, compassionate. We know that when he saw the crowds, he moved toward them with compassion and he healed their sick. We also know that Jesus calls us his friend. Um, the self-righteous religious leaders would see Jesus hanging out with um, all the less desirable people, with the tax collectors, with the sinners. And they had the audacity to say, look at him. He's a friend of sinners, as if that's a bad thing. Until we realize that we are the sinners that he is a friend to. And these are shocking character qualities when we think about the creator of the universe and that these are the qualities of care that he has towards the creatures who have rebelled against him. That's us, that's me, and that's you. And so this morning, the fourth and final characteristic of the heart of Jesus that we will be looking into is uh, maybe even more shocking, actually, when we get right down to it. So I, I grew up in, uh, for lack of a better word, I grew up in an L.A. Dodgers household. Uh, my dad was, was born, he was raised in downtown Los Angeles. So the Dodgers were his team. So I, I had to like the Dodgers if I valued food, clothing, and shelter as a kid, right? But one of the things I did was I used to, I used to ask my dad to tell me what the worst major league baseball teams were because I just kind of always had a thing for, for the underdogs, right? And I remember one year I told my dad I wanted to get behind the team with the worst record in baseball. And he came home the next day with, I kid you not, a Cleveland Indians hat, um, which I wore the entire season. I had no idea how prophetic that hat was going to be, right? But you know who loves the underdog much more than me? And I'm, I'm an, I love the underdog. It's Jesus. And that's what we're going to see today. That's really what we've been seeing as we've been looking at the heart of Jesus. In fact, Jesus has a pattern of gathering people none of us would choose to represent him to do all kinds of big things and all kinds of small things uh, through his strength. And besides all the biblical characters we read about that, that Jesus did that with, Jesus also used a guy uh, named John Bunyan hundreds of years ago, who's responsible, by the way, for writing the biggest selling book besides the Bible in history, a book called, and you've heard of it, Pilgrim's Progress. And what history tells us about John Bunyan was that he was just really a poor and uneducated man. So if you would have looked at John, if you were a friend of John Bunyan's, maybe even if you were his parents or his siblings, nobody would have looked at him and pegged him to have the kind of impact on the world that he did. 
And yet the pattern that we see in God is that he loves people that the world either writes off completely or would have never even considered in the first place. Now, besides Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, he also wrote 57 other books. So the guy was a prolific writer, and one in particular was one called Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ, which he wrote in 1678, just three years before I was born. And what he did in this book was unpack John chapter 6, verse 37, which was one of his favorite verses and which is going to be the focus of our time this morning. But I'm going to read from John 6. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there to John 6. I'm going to start in verse 35, though. And this is what it says in John 6, verse 35 through 37. It says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. But all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So verse 37 is this, and this is what we're gonna be unpacking is that when Jesus says all that the Father gives me I, uh, will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. What I'm going to do uh, a bit unusually uh, this morning is I want to really, I want to literally read the words of John Bunyan and how he unpacks verse 37. I think he does a much better job than I could have done. And I was so taken uh, with how he unpacked it that I thought, let me just go through how he does this. The first word that John unpacks when we look at verse 37 is the word all. And, and Bunyan says about all, he says, notice that he, he didn't say most. He didn't say most that the Father gives me will come to me. But see, he said, all that the Father gives will come to me. Once the Father, these are the words of Bunyan, sets his loving gaze on a wandering sinner, that sinner's rescue is certain. Think about that. Think about just the the massive implications of the fact that your salvation has nothing to do with anything you've done or did. That's why the gospel is good news. It's because of the word all. Once the father sets his gaze on a sinner, that sinner's rescue is certain. Secondly, he focuses on the word the father, all that the father And what Bunyan tells us is that our redemption is not a matter of a gracious son trying just to calm down an uncontrollably angry father. All that the father gives me. Bunyan says the father himself ordains our deliverance. He calls our deliverance. He calls us in such a way that we can't refuse him when he calls. He takes the initiative. He takes the loving initiative with the sons and daughters that he calls to him. All that the father, and the next word he uses is gives. And Bunyan describes it like this. He says gives, not haggles over. It is the father's deep delight to freely entrust rebels, unrepentant rebels, into the gracious care of his son. And again, it starts to give you a, a picture. It starts to give you a picture of the heart of Christ. And then we get to this word, will come. All that the father gives me 
will come. And so Bunyan focuses on those two words, will come, by saying God's saving purpose for a sinner, it's never thwarted. They will come. He is never frustrated. Can you imagine somebody that's never frustrated? He never runs out of resources. Bunyan tells us if the Father calls us, we will come to Christ. And then he talks about the next three words, and whoever comes. And and Bunyan goes on to say this. He says, yes, we are not robots. He said, while the Father is clearly the sovereign overseer of our redemption, we are not dragged kicking and screaming into Christ against our will. Now listen to the way he fleshes that out for us. He says it this way. He says, divine grace is so radical that it reaches down and turns around our very desires. So we do have free will. The problem is our will is corrupted to the point that we never will choose God until he changes our will, till he gets in there and he just sort of gets his hands in there and he redirects our will and our desire to now move towards himself. So divine grace is so radical that it reaches down and turns around our very desires and our eyes are open, Bunyan says. Christ becomes beautiful. We come to him. And anyone, whoever comes, is welcome. But again, what we know about God is that he is the one that has to get in and do the work, do that life-changing, altering uh, reversal of our desires. Because although we have free will, our will has been corrupted. And then he gets to the next part of the verse where he says, all that the Father gives will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So what Bunyan says about these words, come to me, comes to me, he says this, he says, we do not come simply to a set of doctrines, right? We do not come to a church. We do not even come to the gospel. All these things are vital, he says, but most truly we come to a person. We actually come to Christ himself who will in no wise cast us out. And then Bunyan unpacks the final words of the passage by saying this. He says, they that come to Jesus Christ are oftentimes heartily afraid that Jesus will not receive them. And this observation is implied in the text, I will never cast out. For had there not been a proneness in us, listen to this, to fear being cast out, he would not have waylaid our fear. So the fact that we are afraid that there's no way that after God pulls us to himself that he won't cast us out, that is the very reason why we are reassured in this passage that we will never be cast out. Listen to how Bunyan writes these next lines. He says, but I am a great sinner, you say. I will never cast you out. But I am an old sinner, you say. I will never cast you out. I am a hard-hearted sinner, you say. I will never cast you out. I'm a backsliding sinner, you might say. I will never cast you out. But I have served Satan all my days, you say. I will never cast you out. 
but I have no good thing to bring with me, you say. And he says, I will never cast you out. This promise was provided to answer all objections, Bunyan says, and does answer them. This is the good news for us five days before Christmas as we're celebrating a child that came to earth, that pierced the darkness with his light, who lived a life we could not live, who died a death that we were destined to die in sin, who was raised to new life so that we might have new life in him, so that we might receive the righteousness that we don't have and that we we can't earn that was given to us by grace, by God, in Christ. A God who would descend to us, that would become human flesh, that would walk among us, that would go through the kind of things that he went through so that we might have salvation. This is the God who will never cast us out. This is the promise that we have. You know, when we get up and close and personal with our fallenness and our sinfulness, we can come up with just such a horrendous list of reasons why Jesus would and should cast us out. And yet he says, I will never, think about those words, I will never cast you out. Think of some some of the times people have said to you, I will never do this, and they've fallen back on their word. Or maybe you've been somebody who said, look, I assure you this will never happen, and it happens. I will never go this far. I will never forget to keep my promise. And yet, at times, we find ourselves breaking those promises, letting people down, that never turns into an ever. It turns into something that is going to happen rather than something that can't happen. But he says, I will never cast you out. He says, I will not. It is an impossibility for him to do what comes so natural for us to do in our fallenness. We cannot find an earthly statement as resolute as this one. I will never cast you out. I can imagine being in my parents' house and thinking they will never cast me out, but there could be a reason for them to cast me out. I can't imagine Melissa ever having a reason to cast me out, but she might have 37 reasons someday or today, right? Jesus will never cast me out. He will never cast you out. It's a stunning statement that serves as an anchor to the flightiness of our souls. Dane Ortland says this, fallen anxious sinners are limitless in their capacity to perceive reasons for Jesus to cast them out. We are factories of fresh resistances to Christ's love. Even when we run out of tangible reasons to be cast out, such as specific sins or failures, we tend to retain a vague sense that given enough time, Jesus will finally grow tired of us and hold us at arm's length. But straight from the mouth of Jesus, he says, I will never let you go. 
Sometimes you feel like you're holding on to me, but in reality, I'm holding on to you, which is why you can never be let go. Listen to what we're reminded of here in Deuteronomy 31.6. It says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Remember in the famous Psalm 23, when it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he says, you are with me, for you are with me. So let me just present it to you like this. What good is a God who lets you go? How trustworthy is a God who relinquishes you from his grip? We take risks with every other relationship that we have. Even the ones that are as good as good can be. But there's no risk when it comes to whether God's hands are firm enough and his heart soft enough to ever relinquish you. Here's the difference between Christ and us. And it's that he is not fickle. He chooses you not based on you, but on his love for you, which is inexplicable other than he is a God of undying, unquestionable, immovable, practically indescribable love. Imagine all the reasons you have for Jesus to cast you out. But all those reasons are actually no reasons that play into his reasoning at all. So how should this change then? How should this change us and how we see Jesus during this Advent season, which again is coming on the heels of just a year that none of us saw coming? Well, this means that number one, knowing that Jesus will never cast you out, he will not cast you out. It means that Jesus is safe to run to. It doesn't mean there's no risk in being a Christian. What it means is that a Christian has no risk in losing Christ. And there's a big difference there because there is a cost to following Jesus. But it's still the safest place for us to be now and for all eternity. Because you have somebody who not based on anything you do or don't do will never cast you out. You have an anchor. You have a sure and steady anchor. You have what the world is longing to attain, but can never quite get, which is security and safety. Again, it doesn't mean that we don't risk anything. It doesn't mean that Christians throughout the years and the centuries haven't suffered persecution for following Christ. It doesn't mean that men and women and children now aren't suffering, aren't, aren't paying the price right now for following Christ. But when we talk about safety, when we talk about security, we talk about something that is meant to carry us through this life into the life that is to come. We will spend eternity in glory with Christ. Jesus is safe 
to run to. In fact, he's the only safe person to run to and give all of ourselves completely to. So Jesus is safe to run to, and Jesus is secure, secondly, once you run to him. John 10, 28, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. No one will. No one is able. So when we consider this season, we consider Advent, this time of waiting, anticipation, and hoping. We consider the God that came to us the God that put himself in our place, the God who is sympathetic to us, the God who understands us, the God who humbled himself, made himself accessible to us, the God who shows us compassion, the God who calls us, his rebellious creatures, his friends. This is the God that will never cast us out. He will never leave us he will never forsake us. He is our safety. He is our security. Do you have that safety and that security? Are you somebody who has that safety and security, but you forget it so quickly and easily like I do? This is a time for us to remember Christ. This is a time for us to remember the place that he has in our life is a place that he prepares for us as he holds us deep in his arms. And he never lets us go. Whether you know it or not, it's the thing that you want more than anything else. You want to be loved. You want to know that no matter what, you have somebody who will never let you go. And what scripture tells us about Jesus, about the heart of Jesus, is that he is that person. Will you embrace him today? If you're somebody who feels far away from Jesus, will you embrace him today? If you're somebody that just feels kind of self-righteous and feels like, man, this, this message feels mushy, Ronnie. It feels just, it just, it just feels kind of like, I, man, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of meat to what you're saying. Well, in reality, it's just the opposite. Everything I'm saying is the meatiest thing I can be saying right now in terms of who Jesus is and what his heart is for you. And so the encouragement for us today is to run to the safety and security of Jesus with the knowledge that when you are his, he never lets you go and he never casts you out. Let's just take a minute and pray before the Lord that he would remind us of these things. He would encourage us. If we need conviction, if we need to come before the Lord and repent of our sins and have our lives changed and restored and redeemed, let's do that today. Let's go before the Lord. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that your promise is that you will never cast us out all that the father gives you will not be snatched out of your hand things are snatched out of our hands all the time 
but they're never snatched out of your hand. And I, Lord, I pray for those who are just have forgotten that or have tried to take so many things into their own hands and now feel very unsteady in life and anxiety ridden, Lord, that you would remind them that you are holding them. You will not cast them out. And these things that they're, that they're gripping so tightly, Lord, you are gripping them even tighter so that they can let loose. And Lord, for those who have never come into a relationship with you, for those who are trying to be the masters of their own destiny, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would show them the futility of those things, Lord, that you would show yourself uh, to be beautiful and loving and inviting and somebody who will, under no circumstance, once they are your own, ever let them go. Lord, show them that you are the safety and security that they have longed for, that all is required is that they see, that they feel their need for you, and they come to you, they confess their sins, you will be faithful to forgive their sins. You will cleanse them from unrighteousness, they will become a child of God, they will become a member of the church. And God, we just pray that you would do this work, the work of Advent, which is a light piercing the darkness. Lord, would you do that to these hearts that are watching and listening right now? And would you fill us with hope as we now wait uh, for Christmas and we remember um, the beauty and the glory that came because you came um, as a light in the darkness. And we thank you for this beautiful and life-changing reality for us. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.